Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're so glad that you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey, and yet again, Ryan Cecil is taking the night off. Kenny, joining me today as we are gearing up for uh, some exciting times around here because the warehouse, the bottling facility is... It's no longer a warehouse or a bottling facility. It's, it's a it's a full-blown distillery now. This is this is where it is. This is where it's, all the magic happens. And and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, you know, what's what's been going on since the last time we talked? Anything yeah. new? Well, I'm glad I can stretch my arms out here. I don't have to worry about hitting Ryan, right? It's just just me and you, two microphones sitting around the bottle drinking some whiskey here. Two mics, one cup. <laughs> some mics. We do. We are sharing. Cups. Well, there is that, a Glen and a cup, but yeah, it's two <laughs> two guys, one cup and a Glen, I guess. Well, we'll start that other podcast at some point too. Yeah, no, I mean, just in regards of everything that's been going on, there's just a. It feels. I think we've always talked about it, at least in this business. It feels like you're running 100 miles an hour every single day, but nothing feels like it gets accomplished because everything that you're doing is for weeks, months, or years in advance. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like you're always thinking of way ahead of, and there's just, it's just like, you feel like you get something done, but it just turns around and it's like, okay, well, like even today, I'm sitting here filing some papers for potentially some new states that will be opening up next year. And I'm like, I'm doing stuff that doesn't even matter until Q1 of 24. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that just takes time to turn around because everything is out of our control because we're in a regulated industry. And so anything that we want to do has layers of approval that has to go through. So you just, you're just stuck in this, this cycle where you're just continually trying to progress and move forward, but you're always going to be at the mercy of somebody else. Yeah. That's frustrating. And that's kind of like goes into everything <laughs> that we were going to talk about today that because it's, it was an eight month process, six month process, whatever it was to get to where we are today. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time coming, but as of right now, in you know, anyone who who listened on the last episode where we we're talking about, or even the episode before that, and we were talking about Kentucky Bourbon Festival and that we'd have bottle sales there, that's because you know we have licensing here at this location. That's the kind of the first step of of things that need to take place before the downtown location, you know, come coming online in twenty twenty four. And so I just wanted to, to, while I have you on here again, there's some things I think that are geared a little bit more Ryan focused, some things a bit more you focus, and it's fine opening those up on, on the conversations with both of you all. But I know that you've kind of been in the weeds as it, as it pertains to everything kind of related to this. So I figured we'd talk about the road to licensing and we'd talk about, you know, some of those steps that have been going on for the last eight months or whatever it is to get to the place that we are today. And, you know, some of the hurdles, maybe things that people don't exactly see good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. And then, and then what that is going to look like for us moving forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, this, this is one thing I'm happy to talk about. And I think we've, we've kind of found a little bit of our lane. Like Ryan is very good at product development. Right, that's where sort of he's trying to really hone in, do his craft, and I'm focusing on everything else. And so, uh, it's he's got to have a lot of, as you say, like whiskey available to him. He's got to have the product that we can actually create those new products. And I'm the one that's sitting here going, okay, I need a product roadmap. I need something that I can look at and say, this is what our next six releases are going to be like, or this is when we're going to be bottling. And so, and he's he's doing very good at being able to figure that out. And it just kind of happens that a lot of other stuff sort of just fell in my lap. And I think this also, it probably just spins off from the Bourbon Pursuit side. Ryan was very much the idea person. He's the one that came up with the idea of Bourbon Pursuit and, and the, the style of what it is. And 
what we wanted to do is he needed really somebody like me to help come and execute on it, to establish the the cadence and the processes and everything to make sure that it actually is like a well-oiled machine. It continually has some good grease going and it just, the, the wheels keep moving. And that's really what I want to try to do at this place. It's trying to figure out how, what are the first steps we need to take care of, you know, A, B, and C before we can get to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it's been a, it's been a long road, as you kind of said. So, Starting back at the very beginning, we knew that we needed a location to do something before we opened up our place on Whiskey Row in downtown because with our current licensing and as being a quote NDP or non-distilling producer, we didn't have the capability to do what we want to do out of a gift shop. We couldn't do the idea of filling your own bottle directly from a barrel using a thief. You just can't do it as an NDP. Yeah, actually, I want to interrupt you real quick and talk about that a little bit more because I think when we first started having the ABC conversations, we actually or I should say the XYZ conversations, we didn't realize that was a piece of that. We thought we're going to go in, there's a downtown building, we're going to do these things. And then you found out, uh, you know, go into that a little bit, actually. And again, this is maybe more so for other people who are down this road. We thought maybe we could just pop into a gift shop. We've got a brand, you know, we we're doing XYZ. Certainly we can just do that. But what was the hurdle there? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, it's just because of just rules and regulations of what the law states and says that you can't have X amount of stuff. I mean, we can't actually, as an NDP, you can't own barrels. You just can't have a barrel sitting around. That You just can't do that. You have to have a facility a licensed facility that is able to have a distillers, rectifiers, or bottling house permit to be able to do something like that. And unless you have a facility that can sustain that, well, that really wasn't going to happen. So that was the first part. And I guess in the downtown, we could have gotten a distillers permit or we could have gotten a rectifiers permit and kind of figured it out, but it wouldn't have really been, it kind of would have been a Band-Aid is, is what I really see. And I think we've talked about on the show plenty and plenty of times is that one of the major reasons of having this facility was because of excise tax credits. I mean, that's just, it's a it's a way that the, the government taxes distilleries on how they get products and how they get goods. As a fresh reminder for anybody that's out there, if you are, since we are bottling and we are blending at Barstown Bourbon Company, the way that it worked is we take all our barrels, we put them over there, they dump, blend, process, bottle, and we get charged a big boy tax of $13.35 a proof gallon. The same exact thing as Jim Beam and Heaven Hill and Diageo and Perno. Anybody that's large, they get charged that. And it's $13.35 per proof gallon. So to put it in perspective, it said, let's say we spent $5,000 on bottling. We would also pay $5,000 in federal excise tax. It's just a tax that you just have to pay. Now, if we had our own facility and we could do some own processing where we just blend it, we don't have to bottle it. As long as we just blend it and then ship it off to somebody else to actually go bottle it, and then we bring it back to go and then push it out to distribution, well, that thirteen thirty-five goes down to about $2.75 a proof gallon. You're talking a fraction of what we would pay. So we're putting a lot of money back in our pocket. And that's when I looked at the roadmap very, very far out into 2028, 2030 timeframe. And I said, if we're doing 50,000 cases, we're still under 100,000 proof gallons, but then we'd be paying the federal government close to $900,000 in excise tax. That wasn't going to happen. So that's when the, it all kind of kicked off. So we started looking for warehouses, started working for just some place to kind of call home. I wish we would have known what we knew now about what it takes to actually do all this because it it was a, we'll call it a $50,000 learning experience. I think that's the best way to put it because of everything that we've learned going through this process of finding a home, finding what will work. And 
to be fair, it's like when we try to just find a location, it's really hard to find some place that is small enough. We were looking at first somewhere around, I don't know, like five to 8,000 square feet, but we had to have a loading dock. It's really hard to find that. Because, oh, yeah. yeah. Most places either have drive-in vans or something like that. It's, you know, they're old mechanical shops or you know something like that. Most of them aren't a loading dock or anything like that. And so it was kind of like a needle in a haystack in the very beginning. And especially when you're looking at your price per square foot and what you're going to pay for it, you start pricing it out and you're like, Jesus, like I'm going to be paying, you know, five, $6,000 a month for something. And we'll probably bust at the seams in like two to three years, mm -hmm. if I had to guess. But that's what we needed to get started. Uh, but it was just hard to find something at the very beginning. We ended up just going, I mean, I think Ron and I, we looked at 12 or 15 different places. And, you know, shout out to Michael, who was our, <laughs> our I don't know, we, realtor, uh, commercial real estate person that was kind of helping us. And I felt like it was an episode of House Hunters where you're just killing the realtor going like, I don't know. Can we go look at another place? It's like, all right, come on. There's nothing left in the city. You, mm -hmm. You've you've exhausted all your options. It's either you got to continue to wait or you got to just, you know, bite the bullet and do something. So we, uh, we, we kind of looked at a few different places. There was one that we, we liked and honestly, and now in retrospect, going back, it, it might've actually been a better fit, <laughs> but they didn't have a, they didn't have a loading dock, but you can get around it by getting some of those big rollout things that you can put up next to a, a tractor trailer and you can roll them off. And, and if people are wondering like, why do you need a loading dock? In this business, you, you kind of do. Um, everything that you do is very, very heavy uh, when you're putting out, you know, a couple thousand pounds in a, in a skid that's going to go on a tractor trailer, especially when you're moving, say, four full barrels on a skid as well. So you're looking at, you know, 2,000 pounds there too. So doing that in and out of a ramp or just having to just lug it is just not, it just, we would have killed ourselves. That's mm -hmm. pretty much what it came down to. So anyway, we, we found a location we thought we originally did, uh, and then we went back, but it wasn't sprinklered. And that's one of the things that we kind of looked into this, and we thought at the very beginning, we're like, I think we should have sprinklers. Like, insurance-wise, they'll be happy if we have sprinklers, right? And that was our initial barometer, was just to make sure, A, if it had a sprinkler and it had a loading dock. Come to find out, we, we found a place, it didn't have sprinklers, and we said, can you install sprinklers? And they said, well, yeah, we can, but we're just going to bake it back into your lease. So I was like, well, let's, we're basically paying for a sprinkler system in a building. That's, I mean, that's, and you're looking at $80,000, something like that to put something in at, at, at that rate. So we're like, all right, well, I don't know if this is going to work. And there's this building that we're currently in right now. Drove, I've driven past it probably a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And there's always a sign outside that says for lease. But there is a, there's a website called, uh, Korea, Kentucky Commercial Real Estate, whatever, dot com. That's usually where you go and you look and you find available commercial real estate places. And it was never on there. So I just assumed if you have real estate for, available, you would just put it there because that's going to be your, your advertising. My wife, bless her, just goes, Kenny, just call the number. And I think it was middle December of last year. And I just called the number and it's a sweet old lady that picked up and and she was like, actually, we just had a tenant move out. If you're interested in look at the building. I was like, yeah, when can we go there? She was like, well, we can check it out tomorrow if you want. So we go and um, I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go. So Ryan and I, we walk in and 
Brian, you've seen it, and I know people that came to Pursuit Palooza have seen it. It's very deceiving when you're outside because when you walk in and you're just like, holy crap, this place is huge. Mm-hmm. And we knew walking in that this was going to be way bigger than we need. It's probably way bigger than what we'll need in four to five years. But we looked at it and we're like, well, this is probably going to work. The ceilings are tall at the very top of the apex. We're talking 30 foot ceilings, which everything else we were looking at was maybe half that. So in regards to being able to put pallet racking in here, stacking a lot of stuff, it made sense. There's just a lot of ways that you could store a bunch of stuff in here. The other side of it was it had the loading dock. It had a drive up ramp. It had office space. It had all that kind of stuff. Not ready to technically go by any means, but it had the, the, I would say the bones and maybe the meat was there, but the skin still needed some help. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the, the best way to put it. I don't know if people like to think about like your human anatomy but like yeah your bones and your meat in there but <laughs> yeah i think it's probably a better way of saying that but we're, <laughs> yeah. we'll go with it my my analogy is uh, is a little little bad today but anyway we we kind of saw that and i was just like yeah i think we we need to try to jump on this and i said do you mind if we have a like a distillery architect come in here and help us figure this out she's like well i'm gonna be leaving out of town and she was like what if i just made you a key and you could just use it for the next few weeks. I'm like, like how awesome is like somebody yeah. like that? Like did she just like completely trusted us. It, funny enough. Is that enough time to call squatters, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But she completely trusted us. Uh, we ended up talking about what we are and like, oh, you know, we're a bourbon brand. We're trying to find this place. And uh, she's actually the godmother to um, uh, Rob Samuels, mm. right? From Maker's Mark. So she's all like, she knows the whiskey business and, and funny enough, she even said, she was like, actually, this used to be a distillery one day and she gave me the the wrong name and I ended up finally having to go back and, and look it up. But after, like I said, a few, few weeks, I, a quick side note of what it is, I ended up looking it up and it all leads back to our friend, Brian Hara over at Sip and Corn. He has a blog out there. So the building that we're sitting on right now and this entire block was Melwood Distillery. It was DSPKY 34 is what it was. And they were the original distillery that actually supplied all of the bourbon for Brown Foreman and for Old Forester. Hmm. Yes. Old Forester used to be a source brand. So that's, they used to buy their whiskey from here. Resurrect that label. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that dude, it sent me down even a further rabbit hole. I ended up looking at all the labels that used to come out of Melwood and trying to figure out like, oh, how cool would it be to resurrect something? And I, there's like old Anvil and like all these other brands that, that came out of here. Uh, and I just kind of like, again, just went down a rabbit hole of just like finding different things. But anyway, DSPKY34 and I, It'll all come, that'll all come circle back around uh, a little bit later in the story here. But we found the building and we said like, this is great. Let's get, and that's, thankfully we had the podcast called Joseph and Joseph Cash over there that was on, on the show. And he, he's like, yeah, sure. I'd love to come over. And he came, had a few other people come to just kind of check the place out. And he's like, yeah, sure. This be good. Kind of let me know what you want to do. And we gave him, I gave him the grand plan. I said like, oh, we'll have this. We'll have, you know, a hundred, couple hundred barrels over here. We'll have dumping, we'll have blending tanks, we'll have bottling, we'll have this and blah, blah, And he was like, okay, I got you. Didn't think anything of it. I mean, this is, this is kind of where the, the waiting period begins. Yeah. Uh, this is now where we took control of the lease in about 
February and finally had time to bring some stuff in, bring people in. And this is kind of a, a two to three month process of what does it take to actually engineer an architect at distillery? So we were able to bring in, of course, Joseph and Joseph, Shrout Tate Wilson, everybody that you heard on Bourbon Pursuit before. And they did, and over the span of four months, I think it was, got them, got the layout, we got the engineering specs, and we said, okay, what we need to do is we're going to have to create, basically create a wall, put two-hour fire-rated drywall on each side. We're going to have to have uh, a fan that's basically pushing like one CFM per square foot. There needs to be a roll-down garage door that's also fireproof. It has to have a chain on it that senses when it's 180 degrees, it automatically closes. We might even have to upgrade the sprinkler system in here with more heads. This process took about, like I said, four months of just going back and forth and trying to figure out, well, what is it that we actually need to do? The problem is, is that nobody has any freaking clue what you need to do. Everything is just open to interpretation of like, this is what's needed to the point where this building has sprinklers, already has an existing sprinkler system. And when we had the engineering firms in here, they said, well, I don't know if the existing sprinkler system is going to be enough to satisfy, uh, you know, an, an H3 or hazardous area. And I'm going like, well, what do you have to do? And they're like, well, we might at the very short end just have to add a few heads, you know, just some extra spigot spouts, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, okay, that's not too bad. And they're like, but we have to get a flow test in here. So we have to have the city come in and do a flow test of the fire system, fire suppression system to figure out even if you have the, uh, just the, you know, the, the rate per gallon, mm-hmm. you'll take care of this. So we do that and they're like, well, what happens if that? Well, if that doesn't happen, then we have to have a whole new pump room installed. And so we're looking at probably another $80,000 for this. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. Everything sounds like, like it's $80,000. Oh, I mean, it's everything is like, there's nothing cheap that, that happens with a distillery and the build out. So anyway, like we finally get to the point where it's like, it's like sprinkler system, not even involved in this yet. Right. So we're talking to another construction company that was going to essentially build a wall and put in two doors and a fan and some other things that had to be done. And all this has to be connected back into the fire suppression and sprinklers and fire alarms and all this other kind of stuff. So we get the bid back and it was $300,000. And I mean, I knew it was going to be expensive. Like I'm, I'm not, I know like labor and everything's not cheap, but I budgeted like, 75 to 90 is kind of what I thought it was going to be. I mean, we're talking of building some walls and replacing drywall. That's kind of what I thought it was going to be. But the the electrical work alone, the bid was like 75 grand. Mm. I'm going, there's, this is, we're, we're totally screwed. Like we're fucked. Like there's no way this is going to happen. So... You know, I spent probably two or three days down in the dumps just trying to figure out, like, what's going on. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going, you know, I've been to places, even here in Louisville. I've been to different distilleries. I've been to a lot of places. And they don't have this. Like, they don't have an H3 space that has all the stuff that's being told that we're required to need. What, what else do I need? What am I missing here? So without, you know, putting anybody else at risk or anything like that, I definitely don't want people to start 
going and inspecting other places, but <laughs> called a few friends uh, around the city and just trying to figure out like, like, listen, like I know what is being inspected here is, is, is like, it's, it's more than I need, right? Like you all don't have this. How did you get away with this? Or what are you doing? And th- they all kind of came back and said, well, a few different things. One was, I don't know how we passed fire inspection was the first one. Uh, the second one was they were like, who'd you have designed this for you? And I, I said, you know, basically the best in the business. And he goes, that's your problem. <laughs> so they, and that's, and that's what the thing was, is like everybody that we had hired to do this, they did exactly what we had told them to do. Mm-hmm. But what was not said was that we are not working with a budget of like Old Forester or Brown Foreman or Heaven Hill. We are working on a startup budget. And that's when I was told, they're like, you need to go and read all of the international building codes and all the international fire codes and get yourself up to speed on everything that you need to know about what it takes to actually have uh, hazardous materials and, and everything like that. So I go on, I start reading and I got real smart real quick. And within the span of two weeks, I don't even, I don't even think that it might've been two days. Like I read through everything. I made notes. I highlighted everything that made sense to me. And it was on the advice of somebody else. They're like, you don't need all this stuff that is being specked out for you. Just file the applications and go, just go until somebody tells you to stop. And I was like, Shit, I wish I would have done this back in February. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's where it starts getting into the Don't worry, everybody. It's up to co. We're totally fine. <laughs> yeah. You're safe to come visit. Yeah, and that's and that's what it is. It's like because it was being specked out to the point where it's like, oh, you're gonna have a couple thousand gallons of stuff sitting in blending tanks and you'll be bottling and stuff's gonna be exposed and you can't have this many dust particles or whatever it is. And I was just like, well. There's another part in the fire code and the building code where it's not H3. It's called, I think it's either F1 or F2 moderate hazard. And it's for alcoholic beverages that are above 16%. And you can have your building basically be zoned or rated exactly for that. And I was like, well, we're already there. Well, why aren't we just playing in this area instead of having to jump into an H3 where we're super hazardous, where essentially everything like bourbon is being treated as nitroglycerin. So let's start moving in that direction. So once we started moving in that direction, things really started to clear up pretty fast. That's when I looked at it and I said, well, let's let's look at the rules and make sure we're always following them. One is that if your building is sprinkled, which this one is, that means you can have up to 240 gallons of exposed liquid at any time. By exposed liquid, that means that if it's in a tote or in a blending tank or even in a stainless steel tote, that means that it's, it's exposed. It's in, a, in a, it's in an open system, I guess you could say. The funny thing is, is that if you read the International Fire Code, it says in there, and by the way, make sure if you're listening to this and you're a distiller, make sure you read also, because I was also had the Kentucky State Building Permit Code, uh, there's going to be different codes for every individual state of what it's all based off of. And like I said, the Kentucky building permit code doesn't really have anything in regards to a distillery, but they do have a whole subsection on creating Rick houses. Mm-hmm. And we definitely don't want to get into the Rick house conversation because it essentially says like you need to trench like 24 feet <laughs> around your oh, building gosh. to, you know, to keep any runoff or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well that doesn't apply to us. Um, but it, there is an international fire code 
that says that anything in a wooden cask is exempt from the maximum allowable quantity and that MAQ is 240 gallons. So back to interpretation and depending on who you're talking to or what you're doing, there's really no upwards limit of how many barrels that we could store here. However, as soon as you pop that bung off, right, that 53 gallons goes ahead and goes towards that 240. So as long as you're playing in that realm, then you're essentially safe. So we started going down this path and we said, okay, in the future, if we feel like we need to create the H3 space, like we'll go ahead and do it. Like, cause we know, we know what to expect now. Like we know what to get out of it. We know that if we need to break beyond 240, that's what we have to do. I, and to, like, I went to another facility that's brand new here in Louisville and they were actually still waiting for their H3 space certification. But in their bottling in their bottling hall, they brought in one of those 250 gallon totes and they were just bottling through there. So it still fits into that that moderate hazard category. So I said, this is this is perfect. That's all this is all we need. We're not dumping more than a couple barrels at a time when we're doing our blends. And the way and there's either more excise tax, maybe loopholes that I won't get into. But there's other things that we can we can blend, put in totes and ship them off somewhere else to get bottled, and we're still back to 240. So it actually works really well in our favor to be able to do this because we're not doing high volume, right? We're doing a little bit lower volume. We can do single barrel runs. So we started buying equipment for everything like that too. There's just a lot of things now that we're going to be set up for. But this road to having a license has been a, an arduous path. Now, when we did apply for the DSP, it was one of those things that said like, okay, and, and this is also one of the great things is that we had to have all of the architectural drawings of what the place looks like with everything down to the inch of what the walls are. Thankfully, Joseph and Joseph had given that for us, uh, as well as essentially a, a process development map to be able to provide for the TTB. The TTB was probably the easiest part of this entire process. Because they, it's all online. Nobody came and inspected anything. It was just, hey, here's, here's our application. Here's basically our background check, so you know who we are. There's a, a bunch of other information. Here's the, the schematics of the building. And then at the same exact time, I also said, you know, it'd be really cool if we got DSPKY34. And they're like, why? And so I gave him the whole history and I said, listen, I, it's not our story. We don't have anything to do with it, but it is the same location. And it would just be a cool to have that number. We could revive history. We could have releases talking about it. We could have all this other kind of stuff. And the lady from the TTB is super, super nice, uh, which actually the TTB is based out of Cincinnati. So we're not actually too far from oh. it. Yeah. And she said, well, I'll go ahead and request it, but I can't guarantee you anything. And I, and I told her, I said, we have this, we have this deadline to hit, which is Kentucky Bourbon Festival, because we have to have not only our DSP approval, but as well as our city and state approval for alcoholic beverage licenses. She said, I'll be on it. And as I was submitting for TTB, I was actually doing all three of them in parallel. I made phone calls to absolutely everybody in the city and the state to make sure I had all of our ducks in a row, filled out all the applications and all the paperwork, the only thing that was missing in all of them was our DSP number. And I said, is there any way that we can get this process started? And I will just fill you in on that when the TTB approves it. And I said, yeah, sure, not a problem. And everybody has their own process to go through. 
the TTB, as I said, was pretty easy. Uh, gave a few weeks and then they finally approved it and said, hey, here's your DSP. Now your DSP KY20135. I looked at it and I was like, sweet, checkbox. We've, we've kind of crossed the first hurdle. After that was done, we had also at the same exact time were submitting everything for local and state. You know what the funny thing is? You actually have to submit a newspaper advertisement that says that you plan to serve alcoholic beverages. Blows my mind that that is still a requirement. That oh, yeah. I have, People have to be able to appeal you, right? Yeah. To say, I don't want this to go in. And what happens if someone does? I don't know. But yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody filed an appeal. But yeah, you saw the big yellow board that got adhered to the side of our building mm-hmm. or on the door that said like, notice of application for alcoholic beverages. You can apply here. But I'm like, why do I have to put a note in the Courier Journal and pay, honestly, it was crazy. It was like 350 bucks to put an advertisement in the Courier Journal that's eight lines long that says that we intend to sell. Who's reading that? I have no idea. My mom, actually. <laughs> My mom is that, is that reader still. Yeah. I, I just saw that and I was like, that seems like a freaking weird requirement to do. Anyway, submitted that and it was it was actually almost sort of painless for a little bit. Everything was kind of going through, and this is also, by the way, we hadn't got the DSP at this point, right? I kind of pushed it to the city and the state, um, which if you are going to be in the city of Louisville or in Kentucky, and you plan on doing a DSP that requires an H3 permit or a high hazardous area, that cannot be approved by the city. That has to be done by the state. So if you are going to be doing that, it has to go to person 16 levels above you. And they have to be the ones that actually come out, inspect it, and see if it's the high hazard area will be okay. From what I learned in this, I believe the person that was doing high hazard inspections passed away during the time that I had actually submitted. Oh, wow. And so they were, like everybody in the state was even scrambling. But thankfully, we didn't have to worry about that. There was another distiller in town that actually had to worry about that one. It was. It's just one of those things that you have to, and that's when you get into change of use of buildings and occupancies and that that and that triggers more inspections and fire inspections and everything like that so we wanted to make sure that we didn't play in that area we wanted to kind of just be like we already know that there is a certificate of occupancy for this building that was done at some point at some time for uh, you know the not h3 but in regards of like what we're doing so we just knew that we didn't want to you know, putting other kind of trip wires out there that would that would send off any flares. But there was at least two hours of phone calls every single day of trying to figure out who am I talking to, how do we push this to the next step, how do we push this to the next step. And that was until we got into the Louisville portion. The Louisville portion, I thankfully like it got into what was called health review. Health code violation, you know, everything that you would need to, you know, put that letter on the side of your building that says like, you know, you got an A and you got a 96 in your health inspection. Mm-hmm. In on Louisville's website, it says that if you do not, it, it's like you have to have, when you file all this paperwork, it says that if you need a health inspection, if you intend on serving food or alcohol by the drink. And I was like, well, we're not doing either though, so I'm not getting a health inspection. For three weeks, it was stuck in, quote, health inspection review. Well, actually, it was two until I started making some phone calls. And I'm, I'm going like, well, what's going on? They're like, well, you need a health inspection. I was like, why? I said, well, they're like, well, you're you're having, you know, you're, you're doing this. I was like, 
well, on the website, it says that I only need it if I'm doing food or alcohol by the drink. I'm not doing any of that. Like, and they go, well, we've never done this before. <laughs> like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, like, what do you mean? And, and so I ended up talking to a handful of people in the city of Louisville. And I'm talking to one person and, you know, I got really scared because they were like, well, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to, you know, if you plan on having glassware there, then you need a three compartment sink, a grease trap. And I mean, and you're talking another $5,000 to just do some other plumbing and other things that you need to get done. And I'm going like, Jesus, like just to, just to open some doors. And they were like, well, you can serve plasticware and it'll be fine. I'm like, okay. And he goes, but. If you're serving ice, then we need a health inspection. Mm. Like, oh, Jesus, right? So No Ryaritas here. You know, so it was just kind of these, those things. But I uh, ended up talking to, again, like four or five. It's, it's one of those things that I ended up talking to four or five people and saying like, hey, I'm talking to this person, but they don't know the answer. So I was led over here to you. Uh, but they, they didn't go in the background and talk amongst themselves. They just tried to figure it out. So I ended up talking to one person. He was like, oh, yeah, you don't need a health inspection. We're good. And I was like, okay. Three days go, and he's like, and I was like, can you please go ahead and put in the system, like getting approval that we don't need one? Three days goes by, nothing happens. Mm. End up calling the city again. They're like, well, he's just the architect that reviews the plans. He can't actually approve it. You need to actually have somebody from the health board approve it. I'm going, oh, Jesus. So we finally get somebody from the health board and finally talk to them and like, okay, well, that's good. But um, I can do the first step of approval, but then my manager and then his manager also have to approve it. And I'm going like, dear Lord, what's going on here? So finally we had that uh, going. And as in going in parallel, we also had our Kentucky and Louisville ABC inspectors come in. Nicest people in the freaking world. I have, I love the two people that I met, both of them were ex-police officers. They both said the same exact thing. They were like, this is the best job I've ever had. I used to work nights and late shifts. And now I just work from my home. I'm a retired police officer. And this is just, it's just easy. And well, I'm like, nice. But none of them really have any idea of kind of like what a distillery is or what do you do? Or they're just kind of just all learning even the guy that came, he goes, he was, this is my first distillery inspection. I was like, oh, you're in for a treat then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I mean, put it this way. We went and showed him our six head Mori bottle filler. It's like something you can get on uh, a website and it's like $4,000, whatever. Just kind of just showed what it looks like and how it works. And he was blown, freaking blown away thinking it was like the coolest thing in the world. And we're going like, man, this is, this is almost too easy. So I was taken back and say, hey, this is the room where we grow all the weed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) You see these heat lamps over here? It's not for iguanas. Yeah, the uh, but they were super, they were super, super nice. Um, Just being able to come in, they were just, they were just impressed by everything going on. I was really nervous about it because I was looking at that. So like, like, this is the inspection, like this is going to make or break us. They're going to tell us what we need to fix or we have to do anything. They didn't do anything. It was basically just check boxes all the way down. They just had to make sure that maybe you're right, that they weren't creating a meth lab or something mm-hmm. like that. But you probably wouldn't want to file an ABC license. Right. <laughs> you know, Straight moonshining. Yeah. So they they were they were super nice, but it was literally the day before Bourbon Fest when we got the approval for a Louisville ABC license. And then from there, I'm like firing off the email directly, like within the hour, 
to Kentucky ABC because Kentucky ABC will not issue your ABC license until Louisville ABC issues their ABC license. Sure. So I fired that off, and within the hour, I sent it over there. And then the next day, they said, here, here you go. Here's your approval. So it was really down, I mean, truly like down to the wire on how this works. But as they always say, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and I was calling them, especially on the health review side, probably two to three times a day. And I was asking, hey, what's the next step? Hey, I talked to Rob this morning. What's where are we going after this? Hey, I talked to X. They they said that this is you're the next person in line. When's when can you get to this? And I'm pretty sure they just wanted me out of their their hair because it was I was probably a nuisance for two weeks of especially the, the poor lady that always has to answer the phone the first time. And she knew me by name <laughs> at the very end. She was like, Kenny with pursuit? I'm like, yep. She was like, I'll forward you the right person. So. Wow. So do you think, you know, hearing back, you know, going through this whole, the whole timeline of this, you know, it seems like a lot of those things were just unknowns. There, there are things that came up that's like, you know, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, I wish I knew that to, to move things along. And then there's and no it, book for this. There's then, no handbook. And then says, there's a, the steps. And then there's a thing about persistence and, and, you know, and like you said, where, you know, the squeaky cheese gets the mice or whatever it is. The squeaky, <laughs> the, I like that The one. greased monkey gets the, gets the lightning, uh, whatever it is. Um, but do you think do you think it's because of just your your nature and the way that you know you mention things in the way that you operate versus the way Ryan operates that has helped move that along, or do you think that the process, as long as someone is persistent and or stays on top of things, do you think that overall you know if someone else was in this position, it would be a relatively easy process, or you know in hindsight, are you looking back and saying you know it was it, I had to be thorough, but it it was. And a relatively easy process because it seems like even some of the bigger difficulties are just either unknowns or it's like a financial hurdle. It wasn't necessarily like having to find out you have to dig a trench around your whole building, you know, you know, something like that. Or is it just, you know, what your all's what you needed for your all's needs that might not necessarily fit someone else's. Yeah, I mean, and this probably goes into maybe we should have had a another consultant come in that maybe knows what they're doing versus us. And don't be wrong, like we, we talked to the best in the business and we had the basically the person who, you know, the the, the, the company that builds every single distillery as, the, as our architect to help figure this thing out. But we didn't really have somebody come in that says like, well, what do you actually really need? What do you need to get by? And here's the minimum that you, like here's the minimum that you can do or you can go all out and you can do this. Nobody really helped us figure that out. We, we figured that we tried doing that our own and that's where I said that's kind of where we hit that $50,000 learning mistake. And that, that $50,000 was essentially it was paying in rent for seven months of a building. building. You couldn't do anything we couldn't, with. we couldn't use. We couldn't use it at all. I mean, we stored some, we have some, you know, wine lockers here and a few bottles, but we can't actually use it. We can't process. We can't bring barrels. We couldn't do any of that. Yeah, anytime you guys see the updated you know, whiskey quickies, they're actually not even tasting here. They have to go home in order to taste it because <laughs> it's glassware. Um, all they're really doing here is just recording. That's it. That was just one of those things. Though. It's just, it, it was a it was a learning experience. But when you're saying, is it my attitude or whatever it is, like versus me or Ryan doing it, I think Ryan probably could have handled it too. But this is just one of the things I think that I excel in very well because I'm very... I'm usually not, I'm not a very detailed person in my day-to-day life. Like I'm more big picture thinking. I'm not thinking of all the small little details. I, I gloss over those because we always say get mo around here, like good enough to move on. And that's kind of like the motto I live by. 
but with this one, it was kind of like, yeah, it's like we, we submitted everything. Everything was good, but I knew the day and the dateline that was kind of ahead of us. And I was really just working towards it. And, and that's what I, I look at and I said, okay, okay, if I need to have a goal in mind to make sure this can happen. And we've been sitting on this forever. And it's like, if we keep bleeding money, like, God, I think that $50,000 should have gone to something really good. Like, I'm really, really pissed about it because Ryan and I, we still can't pay ourselves. We can't even, like, we got taxed out the ass last year for this business. We haven't even been able to take money out of the business to pay our own taxes. Like, we're using our personal finances to pay the taxes on this business because it was so high. And we weren't able to, like I said, we can't even take the money out of it because we don't have the money to do that. We have... Uh, you know, we're we're spending money on marketing, or we just spent another ten to twelve thousand dollars on making sure that this place looks good. Like we can actually come in and we clean it up and painted it and all this other kind of stuff. And and it's not like it was like fancy anything like that. But it just it just needed some lipstick on the pig, right? I mean, we we want to make that skin not as not that's as right. not as scaly. Yeah, that's such that's <laughs> such a terrible metaphor, and that's it really is. It's so gross. But that was my goal. It was like, okay, it's like as soon as we got that, now we have to invest some money into the building, which it, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a landlord, and I I don't rent a whole lot of things. I'm more of those people like I'd love to just buy it outright and own it and say it's mine. I I hate sitting here like because we're gonna end up dumping like thirty grand into the building of just stuff that we need to make it look good, uh, a functioning hot water, like all those things. And we can't take it with us. Like yeah. it's just, it sits here. So I, I hate that, that kind of aspect of it, but it, I just looked at it as like, we've got to, we've got to like just bite the bullet, make it happen. So now the next goal is making sure that this place is ready to start hosting people for private barrel picks and some other kind of like things that we want to pilot. This will of course never be really open to the public. So don't come to our location and knock on the door thinking that, you know, me or you're going to come out there and invite you to come in. This is definitely one of those things that we'd love to have you, but give us an email, a phone call or whatever it is. And the great thing is now we can sell bottles out of here, right? We can sell barrel picks out of here. We can do all that. So that was kind of the goal is like, after losing so much money is that we have to turn this into more of a revenue driver. And I'm sure that everybody hates hearing about people making money, but it's truly necessary to stay in business. But now we're looking at it and we're trying to figure out that release cadence of what do new products look like that are, are quote unquote distillery only. And you got to come here to get them. And I think that's really where the, the next phase of it's going to be. Well, it's super insightful. I mean, I think it's really interesting just to kind of see what that is. Again, you know, we we have a couple of different things that we hit on with this particular podcast. Some of them are, are kind of like just topical uh, overall in the industry. And, and then I like these ones that are very specific to you all into the business and or that might, you know, be beneficial to somebody else who's trying to figure out, you know, what does this kind of process look like uh, for me and or just to kind of see, you know, because some people might say, what's going on? Where's this timeline? They're talking about that, you know, and just seeing all the things that kind of go in that, that take up time in the day to day, that, that time has got to get robbed from somewhere, you know, especially if you're just, if there's so many projects you're working on and, and, you know, there's so much stuff that can fill time. You want to be able to have some time away. You want to have time, you need to have time with family. We have regular day jobs and then, you know, what you're putting the time to and, you know, see why other things might have to have some sacrifice there. And if not, then you just know that people are just always going. 
Never so stopping. I appreciate you uh, diving into all that, and and we'll see what the future holds. You know, we we can't really dive into that now, but I'd be curious to hear from you all. Podcast at pursuitspirits.com. Let us know if you have other questions in related to this particular topic. If there's any other things that you thought, hey, I don't actually know how that works in here. Maybe these guys do in regards to how they got the building up and going and and, and kind of moving forward. Our Let distillery. Our distillery. The distiller. It's, it's not a building it's, anymore. It feels weird saying it because we called it the warehouse forever. But it's technically a distillery. I mean, we don't have a, a still going by any means, but there's also plenty of other places that call themselves a distillery that they just handle barrels. So it's right. technically a distillery. It's it's weird to say. What's the uh, what's the official name? We don't know yet. <laughs> we're, what we're a waste still, of a distillery. We're still name. trying to. I know we, we've actually we've been. Well, you don't have the DSP number. Can you still call it? Can can you just call? Can you call it Melwood Distillery? We can, I or don't no? know. I don't know if that's trademarked or whatever, but. I mean, it would be like we would call it Pursuit Spirits Distillery, or we don't really know what it is yet. We've we've we we don't even have a sign out, and I think that's one of the things that we're still debating on is even if we want to advertise that we're here or not. But yeah. that's that's just a, put a for rent sign back out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's not on Korea, so just put the for rent sign out there. And no one's going to contact you, so <laughs> totally. Well, I appreciate you diving into this, guys. Again, let us know podcast at pursuitspirits.com, or if there's other specific topics you want to hear us dive into on future episodes. Let us know there. Well, maybe we'll get into those in future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, Kenny, for joining me for another episode. We'll have Ryan back next time. And until then, everybody, we'll see you all later. Cheers. Cheers.